0: The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com.
1: A swing and a drive to deep right away back. Goal!
0: UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. An in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, as we head into the final week of the Major League Baseball season, the Cleveland Indians are still in a pennant race, while the Cincinnati Reds are not. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along on tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, the longest running show on the internet today. And we're going to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds heading into this last week of the regular season. And to do that, let's bring in our resident Reds expert from down south, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm good,
1: Dave. And uh, again, as I have said over the last several weeks and even months, uh, I envy you having your team independent race because I don't think the Reds are going to be able to pull it out this year.
0: Probably not. I mean, 34-and-a-half games is kind of a tall tale to overcome when there's only six games left in the regular season.
1: Well, yeah, but stranger things have happened,
0: haven't they? <clears throat> I mean, Not that strange. Okay. All
1: right, you win. The Reds aren't going <laughs> to do anything this year. I admit it. But for <laughs> those of us who are looking at the Reds in anticipation of spring training, uh, my only caution is that the Reds' general manager – Walt Jockety said last week that the team probably will not be competitive again until 2017. So we could be sitting here next year at this time having the same kind of conversation. And uh, in a few minutes we can get into the results of some of the trades the Reds have made, but i, I got to say I'm not encouraged for 2016 at all.
0: Why would he come out with <clears throat> a statement like that, Mark? I mean, they haven't even started selling season tickets. For next year, I mean, anybody who was on the fence to buy a season ticket now is going to look at Walt Jackety and say, "Well, the GM is telling me not to buy them. Why bother?"
1: I'm not sure that that Reds fans. It, it sounds strange to say, uh, but only 300 miles away, due west of Cincinnati, is a market the same size called St. Louis, and they're draw, they're drawing 3.5 million people this year. And is it because they are a better organization, they're smarter, their people have more money to attend games? What is it that separates the Reds from the Cardinals? They're winning. Exactly right. And the investment that the Cardinals have made in free agents, in developing their farm system, in drafting well, all those things go into the equation but it, it, it just doesn't make any sense that the Reds are going to draw a little over two million this year, and the Cardinals draw another million five. Uh, that that's that's huge in terms of what a team can do. But when an organization right now has to be described as dysfunctional, that's what this organization is. They have made mistakes. Every every organization does, and I'm not singling out the Reds, but What's on the field and, and what you do with your, your draft picks and what you do in investing in players, that is directly related to decisions made at the ownership level, at the GM level, and the scouting level. And something's wrong. It's, it's not they're bad guys or they don't want to win, but something is wrong. And with the, with the move from organizations to hiring younger and younger general managers. I think the Reds have to do something like that. They have to make a move that, that brings in the tools that are that are creating winners. Look at the Cubs, what the Cubs have done the last two or three years with a young GM. Uh, the Red Sox, other teams. The, the team that just hired a, a 30-year-old general manager. Um, you know, that is going to be the norm And the Reds are lagging further and further behind. And and those of us who are avowed and avid Reds fans, you have to, to look at the organization and wonder, is 2017 even a reality?
0: Well, I mean, when you look at the Reds and you look at the Indians, I think the Indians' future is a little brighter. But I've got to look at this and say, if I'm a fan, of the Reds, and and my own GM is telling me, well, next year is just a throwaway year. That's what's driven me crazy about the Indians over the past few years, is that they will just come out, especially Mark Shapiro. I hope Toronto enjoys this, because Toronto is going to win the American League East this year, and then they are going to have to suffer through years of Mark Shapiro throwing people out there time and time again, and telling you that he's not going to be able to go out and sign a high-priced free agent. Which, I've got to tell you, Mark, if I'm a Toronto fan right now, and David Price is on the market, and Mark Shapiro steps in as president of that organization, and the first thing that he tells me is, I can't sign David Price. I've got to really question what my team has done after going out and basically sacrificing the future to get Price, to get Tulowitzki. to to win the division this year, and get into the playoffs? I've really got a question. And I think, Mark, you know, now that I mention this, that may be the defining moment for Mark Shapiro as president of the Toronto Blue Jays, what he does with David Price.
1: Uh, I don't think any one decision can, can doom a president particularly, uh, and maybe a GM, uh, but not a president. And the, the fact that Toronto is having such a great year, and I'll tell you, I, I saw them play on, on Saturday. I tell you, There are a few teams I can remember that have such a scary lineup as that one. I mean, the, those guys can rake. And if anything, if they go out and get another pitcher this year, uh, they already got a good rotation. But, man, they're close to being a dynasty. I mean, if they can keep that team together, uh that team can win for a number of years, which means Shapiro is going to be insulated from any kind of uh, of problems that way. Uh, but that,
0: he's got to okay the signings though he, that's what he's got to do. He's got to okay this team making the signings that are necessary for them to stay on top. yeah but and it, I, I've never seen him be able to do that.
1: but it's easy to to stay on top when you have a winner. Uh, you know you, you're given, you're given lots of leeway if you win. Look at the Giants. The, the Giants have won three World Series every other year, starting six years ago. They're not going to win this year. They're out of it. But the, the Giant fans aren't going to complain. They're not going to complain for a number of years. This team has won three World Series. They've been competitive. And actually, they're still in it. They, I think they play the Dodgers this week. If they were to sweep the Dodgers, uh, you know, it would make it at least an interesting last weekend. But it, 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 the Reds did that. The Reds won a couple... They won a division. They got in the playoffs three years, and that bought that organization a lot of time. And what they did, they screwed it up. And I, I think the biggest mistake they made, in the, you look back over the last five years, the Reds won in 2010, and they didn't make one damn change. They, they knew their pitching was weak. They knew their hitting was weak. They, they played in a weak division at the time. And and they did nothing to increase the, the the capability and the talent on that team, and it's come back to haunt
0: them. Well, when you look at what, you, you talk about Mark Shapiro, and I, I hate to go back to this, but I've got to say, I've got to go back to 2007, when the Indians won the division, they were within 1-1 one, one out of going to the World Series that year and facing the Colorado Rockies when they were up three games to one against the Boston Red Sox, and they were one out away from winning that series. What was the first move that he made, Mark, after that season was over? The next season, he traded CeCe Sabathia. The next season after that, he traded Cliff Lee. He had to trim the budget, and that's exactly what I think he's going to do in Toronto. He's going to trim the fat. That's why I'm saying the very first move that he makes in Toronto may be the one that is how he is going to be reflected amongst Blue Jay fans. And that's going to be what he does with David Price. David Price would like to stay in Toronto. He doesn't have to give him a hometown discount. For crying out loud, the guy's only been there for three months. But I think that's going to be the defining moment. I hate to say this for Toronto fans but this may be the defining moment of Mark Shapiro's career in Toronto is what he does with David Price, and that will come down in the first two months of him having the job.
1: I disagree. I, I think that that is a decision that a president does not make. It comes from the ownership. It comes from the board of directors. If they're going to invest that kind of money into a David Price, that's not going to come from Shapiro. Now, he will make the deal. He'll try to negotiate a deal. That That is a responsibility along with the GM. But I, the same with the Reds. I don't think the, the reason I don't jump on Walt Jockety necessarily. I, I think he is a, a guy who's a very talented, successful GM. I think his time has passed. I don't think he uses uh, the, the the technology and uses the the, the sabermetrics as he should. But having said that, the final decision on a lot of these trades and a lot of the signings comes from ownership. And uh, now again. I don't know this to be the case. It's it's only rumor down here. But the Reds had traded Jay Bruce to the Mets. for what, what, I forget the guy's name now. He escapes me. A right-hander for the Mets who's been on the DL. Uh, his name escapes, but he, he is an outstanding right-hand pitcher for the Mets. And Jockety wanted to make the deal. And Castellini said no because he likes Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce is going to hit 225 this year. Granted, he'll hit 27, 28, 29 home runs, and he'll drive in 80, 85 runs. That may be enough that you want to keep a Jay Bruce around. I don't know. But a lot of these decisions on big money, it comes from the, the owner, and it comes from the board of directors who control the purse strings. The president can say, yeah, we have, we have to make that trade, but he, he doesn't get final approval on that unless there's an agreement. He's part owner or whatever. He's given the authority, but I have never seen a president or a GM have that kind of latitude to unilaterally make deals like that.
0: So, do you think that do you think that Bob Castellini had to okay the fact that the Reds went out and signed Ryan Ludwig?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I think it's
0: free. But wasn't it Walt Jocketty that brought Ryan Ludwig to the table? It wasn't Castellini that brought Ludwig to the table. That's
1: true. It, but I don't think he signs off necessarily on is Ryan Ludwig going to help the Reds on the field. I think that's the GM's decision. But any free agent signing like that, yeah, I think it does go to the president.
0: Uh, I would. But say. it's not the. It's not. It's the GM that brought that player to the table. It wasn't the player that brought, or the owner that brought that player to the table. I'm not arguing. I'm
1: not arguing with that. I'm I'm saying that it is the general manager that brought a Ryan Ludwig to the table, and he's saying, "I think this guy can help us. Will you please sign off on this contract?"
0: And if so, it's it's Walt Jockety's fault for bringing Ryan Ludwig to the table. Well,
1: it may well be, but from a financial perspective. Your point is that Shapiro is going to be making unilateral decisions on who to sign, uh, including price, and he he won't. He can say, yeah, I think we ought to sign price. And the owner says, well, that's nice, but I don't think we can afford that money. Right, but
0: your point is is that you can't blame Jockety for some of the moves that the Reds are making. And I'm going back and I'm saying, you've got to blame Jockety for bringing Ludwig to the table.
1: Yeah, that's where the responsibility bifurcates. You, you, you're right. The general manager makes the decision on the talent or he, he makes a recommendation. We should sign Cruz, Hector Cruz or, or, or um, what's Cruz's first name? Um, and, or we should sign Ludwig or we should sign Johnny Cueto. And the ownership says, no, that doesn't fit into our budget. you got to make some trades. you got to get rid of payroll. That's, that's what the GM does. He, he goes out there and he marches to the orders of the ownership.
0: First of all, I've got to go back. What was that word you just used? Bifurcate? i got to look that up in Webster's. What in the world is that word? Well,
1: I'm going to make you look it up because our <laughs> our, our learned audience knows what bifurcate means.
0: Uh, uh, I'm going to make <laughs> you work at it. Okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad, when, when you, glad somebody knows what that word means.
1: When you separate things into two parts and okay. my point was The responsibility of of making a trade is not unilateral. It is made by the GM making a recommendation. And then he goes and says, please, Mr. Owner, I'd like to sign this free agent. Will you allow me to do so? Here's my recommendation. I think this guy's really going to help us this year. And the owner will say yes or no. The general manager does not have the right to make that deal without getting it approved by ownership. And if it's a big enough deal, even the board.
0: Oh, I, I, I agree with you on that part, but it's the GM's responsibility to bring these guys to the ownership and improve the talent level on the ball club. And that, by far, you cannot say Walt Jockety has done that with the Reds.
1: No, I, I, Dave, I, I didn't say that. I, I was saying, and in case of Bob Castellini, I, I think in many cases he lets his fandom Interfere with decisions on the field, and I use Jay Bruce as the example. I think he likes Jay Bruce for a lot of reasons. Jay Bruce is a good guy. He's clean cut. He, he, you know, he plays good defense. He's a good representative of the team. All those things, but you know, he's going to strike out 175 times, and he's going to hit 230 for you. And again, there may be a spot in the lineup if you have other good hitters. But uh, our, our discussion is revolving around. What responsibility and what latitude does a guy like Shapiro have? I say he has a lot of latitude, but he doesn't have ultimate latitude. He is not going to approve a deal without ownership signing off on it. Let's say the Indians wanted to go sign Price to a free agent contract. You think Shapiro, I mean, um, the new general manager of the Indians, is going to allow that to happen without going to the ownership?
0: Oh, absolutely not. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, is that ultimately, Mark Shapiro is the president. Ultimately, the decision to make this in the fans' eyes are on his shoulders. This is going to be the first move that he makes as the head of the Toronto Blue Jays. If he signs David Price, that's fine. If he doesn't, fans are ultimately going to blame him for not being able to sign David Price. That's just the way it's going to be.
1: Yeah, but you're you're assuming, number one, that David Price is going to remain healthy the rest of his career. Let's say he, Shapiro does not sign him. And he goes out and he gets a sore arm the next year. Or he do, he's not productive, like Johnny Cueto has not been productive. Then they're going to say, wow, that Shapiro is a pretty smart dude. He didn't sign a guy who clearly was not going to be worth the money. It's... My point is not that these guys, in some cases, trades and signings are not justified for four, three, four, five years down the road. And so my disagreement with your statement is I don't think a single transaction like price signing with Toronto or not is going to be the measure of. Shapiro, I, I think there'll be other things that he does or doesn't do that over a period of time, four, five, six years, then you can look back and say, what's his body of work? So I, I disagree with your statement that one deal could could define him as a president.
0: I can tell you right now that the Indian fans are still remembering that his very first move as general manager of the Indians was to fire Charlie Manuel after they had won a division title and were leading the division the very next year. That was their entire they still remember that and fans have a very long memory. And I think in this case if David Price is the pitcher that put Toronto over the top to win not only the American League but most most you know could be the World Series and then they don't they turn around and they don't re-sign him. I think that that could be very detrimental, being that it would be Mark Shapiro's very first move as president of the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, Mark, w- when we look at moves, the Indians' lack of moves throughout the season are really coming back now to haunt them. The only moves that they did make was they got rid of the dead weight between Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne. Somehow, some way, they managed to dump them off into Atlanta, and the Indians have played excellent baseball ever since then. And when you look at this whole team, Mark, and the way that they've played baseball over the last month and a half, over the last six weeks of the season, if they would have done that just two weeks earlier, instead of going into tonight's action down four games in the wild card, they could be closer, if not even be, one of the wild card teams. And I think, I know managers and general managers and fans and everybody alike believe that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. But even marathon runners will tell you that races are won in the beginning, the middle, and the end over a consistent system. The Indians, over the last two years, even the last three years, Mark, I mean, let's call it what it was. Two years ago when they made the playoffs, they won ten straight. They finished the season fast and got into the playoffs. Last year they tried to do the same thing that they're doing this year, didn't make it. It's the first three months of the season that seem to kill the Indians. This is a marathon, but it's consistency throughout the entire season that I think you need.
1: Well, talking about transactions, let's analyze one and see what the repercussions are going to be. Is there a better deal that was made this year than than Toronto signing Donaldson?
0: Well, they made, yeah, trading for him? Yeah. No. Probably not. I mean, you look at all the moves that San Diego made, Mark, and I thought San Diego was going to be really one of those teams that was going to come through in the West this year because of all the moves that they made, especially for, for Matt Kemp and, and Upton. But when you see what Josh Donaldson has done for Toronto and how he he's going to be one of the top two guys that are going to be named MVP this year, he'll be in the top two of the vote. And I agree with you. I mean, there is not—he has been just outstanding for Toronto this then, year. And
1: on the other side of the equation, have you seen where Oakland is in the standings?
0: <laughs> oh, Brett Lawrie was has just been abysmal for them. Right.
1: Yeah. And so go back to Billy Bean, the, you know, the boy genius. Uh, how are people, I wonder, analyzing the situation? Oakland was competitive until this year. They've been competitive for four or five years in a row. So I think that buys Billy Bean some time but when you give up a guy who who conceivably could win and they had him under control I believe for another year or more uh Josh Donaldson and he he is a stud I, I you know playing in Oakland I I didn't get to see him play that much but I've seen him down the highlights and man that guy he's he's a great player and he is, he has been the missing link in that lineup uh, in Toronto, they've always been a high-powered offense, but I tell you, they have no weak links in that lineup. I mean, the guys hitting ninth are guys that would hit fourth or fifth for the Reds. I mean, they have. Some...
0: They were able to. They, they were alternating, Batista and Encarnacion at third base, and they went out because Laurie couldn't hit, and then when he was when he wasn't playing, he was hurt. They made this deal for Josh Donaldson. Get Laurie over there. They're able to solidify third base and first base because they can put Encarnacion at first base and keep Bautista in right field.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a scary lineup. And had they gone out and gotten one more pitcher, um, they, they, I think they would have been unbeatable because they're going to score six, seven runs a game in most cases. I mean, they just are a terrific offensive unit. Uh, defense isn't bad. Uh, but playing in that ballpark, and, and I was really happy to see the Toronto fans. I, I don't know if you saw it on Saturday. I uh, mean, it was a very emotional sellout crowd on a Saturday afternoon in the beginning of the football season. And, uh, you know, Toronto, people forget uh, back in the 90s, they were the team. That was it. That, that was a dynasty team. And uh, I, I don't think they've won since, what, 90, 93, something like that? So it's, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Oakland because Billy Bean's reputation as a genius may be out the window if this team continues to falter, and right now it's a pretty bad team.
0: Well, and don't forget, last year they made the deal where they, they got rid of, and, and now I can't remember his name, the guy that's in New York right now traded him to Boston for John Lester, and that trade just fell flat on its face.
1: Well, that's my point in, in
0: terms of... Cespedes.
1: Cespedes. But that's my point in terms of analyzing these deals. It does not... If one transaction does not make a career. And whether you sign a guy... It's a double-edged sword. You can sign a guy and he falls on his face. And Ludwig was never expected to be a superstar, but use that as an example. He fell on his face. And the Reds never recovered because they, they haven't had a left fielder now for four or five years. And it's the it's the time after time after time beating your head against the wall and and getting more success than failure that makes a reputation for a general manager or for ownership, including the president. It's not a one event deal. It is over a long period of time. And look what happened with the Pirates from 91 until the last two or three years when they've now, I think it's their third year in a row in the playoffs. Uh, that team was abysmal because of bad decisions by ownership. And I'm afraid the Reds are on the cusp of that kind of thing, unless they step up and make the investment that you and I say teams have to make. Next, you, you, you've had a good point. Jockett saying that we're not going to be competitive next year. Probably. Um, is kind of waving the white flag kind of early. But you look at what the Reds have. Devin Mezzarocco coming back. This is a guy who had 25 home runs last year and only played in, what, 110 games. He missed a bunch of games last year. You've got uh, Zach Cozart coming back. You have Homer Bailey coming back. Uh, you, you have Joey Vado coming back. You have Brandon Phillips coming off one of his best years in the last seven or eight years. He stole 20 bases hitting 290, 75 RBIs, playing stellar defense. You have Todd Frazier. He's going to be close to 40 home runs. Uh, you, you need a left fielder, and in my opinion, you need a center fielder as well. You need two outfielders. Put Billy Hamilton on the bench, spot, start him, pinch, run him, uh, defensive replacement. He can be valuable coming off the bench. My point is, if the Reds go out and sign a pitcher or two, they could be competitive but they also have to get another couple bats so do you make that investment now do you say no we're gonna we're gonna still go with rookies in left field see how that works out and to hell with the fans in 2016 or do you do what you and I are suggesting is go make a statement the fans will show up they will but so far the Reds have not taking a position where they're willing to do that.
0: I will make you a trade offer right now. Here here you go. I will trade you Carlos Santana and your choice, Danny Salazar or Trevor Bauer. Either one. You can have either one of them for Mesoraco.
1: No, I, wouldn't, I thought you were <laughs> going to say Jay Bruce. I'd no, say Mesoraco. yes. Mesoraco.
0: I want Mesoraco to play first base.
1: Well, uh, Santana's a lousy catcher, and he's a DH, so I don't know where you're playing. Left
0: field. Oh, come on.
1: Who do you think I am, Walt Jockety? (laughs) No, I wouldn't.
0: (laughs) Who would you want? Who would you want? I'll give you your choice of, of Salazar and Bauer and who else for Mesoraco.
1: I would do Bauer and Salazar for Mesocco.
0: who else will you give me off the off your pitching staff in return? I want one of your lefties. Uh, I'll take Mezarako and one of your lefties okay,
1: how about um Finnegan?
0: I'd rather have lamb
1: well, they both got lit up this week.
0: no. I saw Lamb pitch against the Mets. Yeah, I agree with you. He he got lit up, but I, I'd really have to think about that. I'll tell you, I I, I really would like to have yeah on the Indians. You could plug him into that cleanup spot, right-handed power hitter, play him at first base. He doesn't have to catch anymore. And I, I think he would be just an excellent addition. And we've got the pitching to give to somebody – for a right-handed bat like that, well, the Dodgers don't have a right-handed bat that I want. Sir. I'll tell you, another guy I wouldn't mind having is um, Will Myers out in San Diego.
1: Yeah, but he didn't do much this year.
0: No, but he's a, he's a center fielder. I think they. Would, I would probably trade Trevor Bauer for him, even up. I like his potential. I, th- I think he and he could play center or right. That whole team just didn't play well this year, San Diego.
1: You know, the Reds have such an easy solution for their left-field problem. Uh, they could put Joey Votto in left field, and he's a good left fielder, and so is Todd Frazier. But put, St. Votto in left field and Mesoraco at first base. Now you've got... See,
0: I I agree. I, I do. But I, I don't think... These GMs, for some reason... You know, some teams, like the Indians, they love to have a team full of utility men. The Reds, for some reason, I think under Walt Jockety, they want to have a team of set position players.
1: You know, the team that has made that really famous this year are the Cubs.
0: Uh, They have.
1: Madden, oh yeah, Madden plays guys out of position all the time, or different positions. And it certainly worked out pretty well uh, for them. But I agree with that philosophy of playing, having players who can play multiple positions because it gives the manager so much latitude uh, during a game and during the season as a whole to move players around and get the best bats in there you can. And, again, you'd have to be a pretty weak athlete not to be able to play left field in the big leagues. I mean, you have to be a really, really bad athlete not to play. And Joey Votto has a great arm. He, he was a former catcher. Um, and you could certainly move him in the left field. He's, he, he's fast. He's got, he's, you know, he's got, uh, what, 15 stolen bases this year. He, he, he can run, and there's nothing wrong with his, with his hands. He's got great hands, as a matter of fact. If you can play first base, you've got good hands. That would be such an easy transition to make if, and we're both assuming, that Mesoraco can't catch. Now, if he can catch, that changes the dynamic, and you could put Suarez in left field and have a guy who's going to hit 280 and field well uh, but you still have the Billy Hamilton issue.
0: And see I'm not taking it, uh, see that's where you're you're reading me wrong. I'm not taking into consideration that Mezracco can't catch. I'm taking into consideration I don't want Mezracco catching. He just gets injured too often. I want him playing someplace where I can depend upon his bat being in the lineup every day.
1: Yeah, and there's I, I I buy into that argument. Uh, I don't think the Reds do. I think the Reds believe that he can come back and catch. And if they're wrong, then what? Then what? Now, they're going to have to make this decision in the off season, and they have to be damn sure they're right. Because you can't go into next year and have him after eight games say, oh, my hip is hurting me again and I can't catch. You're in the same position you're in now.
0: Why would you even take a shot at that?
1: Well, I wouldn't. I, I,
0: I agree. Right.
1: I agree with you. I, I wouldn't. I would, I would make a definitive move to put Vado in left and put Mesorako at first and be done with it. You got your left fielder for the next eight years. He's going to hit 320 every year, hit 30 home runs and drive in 80 to, to 100 runs. Done deal. Over. Mesorako is going to hit fourth for you. He'll hit 25 to 35 home runs, probably drive in 100 runs, and you, your, your problems are solved. Now, it, would there be a drop-off defensively, perhaps, with Mesoraco at first? Yeah, maybe. But he is a catcher. He can scoop the ball. He's got a great arm. And I'd rather have him at first base than put him in left field, where I don't know what he can do. I'm pretty sure he can play first base. And I'm, I'm certain that Votto can play left field. So there's a lot of things that the Reds can do, but their creativity is not there. And It, it never seems to be there that's that's why I get very frustrated is they they are so by the book. And it's the same with the draft choices. It's so by the book. And this year, right now, the Reds are in a position to draft number three. That means they're going to get draft number, what, 64. They're, they're going to have three, and they, and they get the sandwich pick between the first and second rounds. They won that, a competitive pick. So they're going to have three draft picks, in the first 50 to 60 players, and if and I hear that they're trying to sign one of these Cuban superstars uh, for 10 million dollars. Now, if they do all that stuff, the Reds will be back. The, the Reds are back. But if they screw up this year in their draft, or actually 2016, if they screw up that draft. This team could be in the dumper for a long time to come.
0: See, with the Indians, where I'm, I'm concerned is the center field position. Now, I really like the way Almonte has played. I made fun of him when he first came over, but I'm, I've become a believer in him. And if he can bat 260, 270 mark, the way he plays center field and the way he bunts and runs the bases, I, I would be happy with him in center field. I love Chisholm Hall in right. I hope they, uh, unless they go out and get a real stud right fielder, I hope they just give Chisholm Hall that job and let him go with it. First base is where I have a big concern, and that's Carlos Santana. You cannot go through another season like they have the last two. With Santana batting two twenty, like you keep continuing to go on about Jay Bruce, Carlos Santana is Jay Bruce without the home runs in the RBIs.
1: That's called Billy Hamilton.
0: Well, there you go. I, I, I cannot continue on with my cleanup hitter batting two twenty and only coming up with 60 or 70 RBIs a year and leading the team in walks. I can't do that anymore. And he doesn't play very. – let's put it this way. If Santana can put his glove on the ball, he's pretty good at first base. He doesn't come down with the high throws. He doesn't come down with the 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 in-the-dirt throws. And his arm is pathetic. Now, if it's me, and they go out and they get a stud right fielder, I get rid of Carlos Santana, and I move Chisenhall to first base. I put him at first base but only if they went out and got themselves a stud right fielder. But they need somebody, Mark, that can hit from the right side of the plate that they can plug in at that in that cleanup spot that can hit in, in between Gomes and Brantley. I think their top three is set for a little while. I really think Urshela is going to, although Urshela hasn't played over the last week because his shoulder is really bothering him. He made a throw a couple of weeks ago, Mark, a Brooks Robinson-type play that it appears he really pulled his shoulder out of joint making the throw. He did get the out, but it still was that the one, racked him up. Was that
1: the one he dove in, in over the bag and, and got it and threw the guy out at first?
0: Yes, wow. yes. It was a great play. And, It was, and he really screwed up his shoulder on it. He didn't play at all this weekend. He was going to undergo an MRI today, but there have been no reports as to what they found out. He may be shelved for the rest of the year. Lindor has turned out to be just a magnificent find. If he continues to play, I'm going to say, Mark, if he even continues to bat 260-270 through his career, it's it's just a great move for the Indians. Kipnis. He finally put together a full season. It looks like he's going to hit over 300. I think they're set there. Jan Gomes, I think they're set behind the plate. Left field, Michael Brantley, I think they're set there. But center field, right field, and first base is where they have to be concerned with this year. And that's why I'm interested in Will Myers from San Diego. I'm definitely interested in him. Their pitching has been good. Jeff Manship has come in and really pitched lights out out of the bullpen this year. I don't know how much longer you can depend upon Brian Shaw to be that eighth-inning guy. Cody Allen, he'll be a good closer for the team next year. Their starting rotation appears to be in good shape. Josh Tomlin has come back from the Tommy John surgery and looked really good this year after taking another two months off to recover from that surgery from a year ago. You've got Cody Anderson, who's done a great job for the team in a, a starting role as a number five starter. You've still got Trevor Bauer, who is there. But you've also got your top three in Carrasco Salazar and last year's Cy Young Award winner in Kluber. So this team is in is in good hands, but they just need to do some tinkering. And the biggest tinkering they have to do is find themselves a right-handed bat that can take the place of Santana and drive home runs.
1: Dave, uh, I think I asked you this before, but maybe it's even more germane now. Uh, when do they bring Lindor up?
0: Right towards the end of May.
1: Do you think that he would have made a a four-game difference if they'd have brought him in immediately?
0: Mark, you know, I would like to... I I don't know. I mean, the kid came up, and he was obviously intimidated by his surroundings right at the beginning. Then, as soon as he got acclimated to what was happening. He really turned things on and played played very, very well. I, I'm not sure he would be able to... I could come right out and say and and be convinced that he could have made up four games. I doubt that. I will say this. I think where they would have made up four games is if Jan Gomes would have been healthy throughout the first two months of the season. They lost him right off the bat in the third game of the year to that sprained sprained knee he was out for six weeks, and I think the pitching staff took a hit. I think the catching position took a hit. I know their batting order took a hit, and I think there is where they lost those four games.
1: Well, it's, it, it's tempting to say that he would have made a difference. Uh, I, I think you, you're probably right in your analysis that a young guy coming in and being thrust into that position early on but it, it would be pretty sad to think that uh, he would have made a difference or made them more competitive during the year. And you, you never, you can't go back in time, obviously. But uh, you have been absolutely accurate about the impact Lindor had on this team, and both defensively. But I think even you have to be surprised about his his offensive production.
0: I um, Yeah, especially his home run power. He's got ten home runs this year, Mark, in, in, in since June first. He didn't hit ten home runs in in three seasons in the minor leagues. I don't know where he came up with all of a sudden came up with this power, but he has. And and I'll tell you another guy that really surprises me. And again, I made fun of him when the Indians got him for Subchinsky from San Diego. But El Monte, this kid. And, and the more I think about it, the more I think I was really really wrong about this kid because San Diego had an outfield that there was no way he was going to break through. With Myers, Upton, and Kemp, he wasn't going to break through in that outfield. And this kid was struggling at AAA. San Diego gave up on him. The Indians brought him in. He was a breath of fresh air along with Lindor and Urshela. And that's what's really tipped the scales with it. He's come in he's played great defense out in center field. He's come in with, like I said, a breath of fresh air. He's exciting to watch. He's got four triples, Mark, in a month. He just he, he gets on the bases, and he just keeps going and going and going. 26 years old, and I, I like the kid. I'm excited about maybe what this kid can do. And like I said, if he can continue to hit 260, 270 with this team, I'll put him in at number seven or number eight in the batting order all day long and let him play center field, and I'm happy.
1: Unfortunately, the Reds uh, have to make a decision about Billy Hamilton this year. And I say unfortunately because they have put a lot of eggs in his basket. And he, th- this kid, he works hard. He's got a lot of skills. He's a 220 hitter. And maybe you put him on Toronto's team and you can – you can. that's fine. Uh, but you can't have him on a team like the Reds. He's an automatic out. You know he makes he makes a lot of outs. His on base percentage is only 270, 272. That's unbelievable. And you you can't have that kind of liability. But I don't know. You you say the Indians need a center fielder. What would you get for Billy Hamilton?
0: Nothing. Yeah, I don't want Billy Hamilton.
1: Yeah, and I think that would be the attitude of a lot of a lot of teams. That you have to have a special team to you to want Billy Hamilton. And it has to be a team that, that has a lot of other strengths, uh, including power on base percentage that you can absorb a guy like him into your lineup uh, to play great. He'll play great defense. No question about that. And he'll steal you 50, 60 bases a year, which can be very valuable to the right team. But he is going to drive you insane with the number of fly balls he hits every year. <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable. And it's because he's just not strong enough. And what drives me insane is people tell, I, I hear Pete Rose said this, and I was shocked. He said, you know, Billy Hamilton needs to take a full swing and drive the ball. He can drive the ball. No, he can't. He can't drive the ball. He's not strong enough. He, he doesn't even choke up. And in fact, he began choking up about a week before he got hurt, and he, he started making more contact. But he's been holding the bat at the very end, trying to hit home runs and drive the ball to the gap, and that's not his game.
0: The Drew Stubbs syndrome.
1: Exactly right. I was just going to say that. And these guys, at least Drew Stubbs, hit some home runs. He hit 15, 20 home runs for you, and he played good defense. But uh, they're either too stupid to to look around, and you look no further than Joey Votto. And I've got to digress for a second about Votto. If the Reds' other hitters can't learn from him, then they're dumber than I thought. This guy, I have never seen a, a more intense hitter since a guy named Pete Rose, who never gave up an at-bat. You can, The Reds were down 12, I think it was 12 to nothing the other night against the Mets. And Joey Vada goes up there and has a 12 at-bat, you know, 12 pitch at-bat. And he's grinding it, and he's fouling balls off, and he's hacking at things, that you know, just to spoil the pitch, driving the pitcher nuts, and he finally walked, and he's now been on base through a walk or a hit in 44 consecutive games, and
0: and I think it's something like 70 out of his last 75.
1: Yeah, I mean he is just—he's a nightmare for a pitcher.
0: I mean, and here's the problem, Mark. Here's here's where the, I think this answers your question right here. He's getting no notoriety for this, none. ESPN doesn't have him on the highlights. Fox Sports doesn't do anything about it. And when these younger players see that this kid, that this guy is doing what he's doing and being as successful at it as he is, and he's getting no publicity, nobody knows about it. Nobody really knows what's going on unless you're a major baseball fan. The only thing he gets on the highlight films are the home runs.
1: It's preposterous. He's going to hit probably 30 home runs this year, drive in close to 80 runs on base percentage of 440 or 450 that's that's insane and he, he he just doesn't make outs and that's more important than than you know getting getting hits it's don't make outs and that's what Jay Bruce does Jay Bruce makes a lot of outs and that's what Joey uh, or uh, Hamilton does Billy Hamilton he makes a lot of outs Joey Votto doesn't make outs he gets on base And that's the difference between those two. And I can't believe that they don't use him as an example. The other night, he came up and he had, he had, he was over three and the streak was on the line. He came up against, uh, the the starting pitcher. No, it was a reliever. It was a reliever for the Mets. And I think it was the seventh or eighth inning. And he choked up four inches on the bat. There was no way they were going to get him out. And, of course, he lines the ball at the middle for a base hit to keep the streak going. But, he, he, you know, he's he's fearless at the plate, and he, he's got such a great eye. And I know some people don't like the fact that he yells at Umson. He, he's so intense and all that stuff. I love it. I, I wish we had, you know, nine Joey Vatos on the field at any given time. Uh, the team would be in first place and be winning a division. Uh, the Reds just have some great talent and they're not that far away, if the, if the ownership would just make a couple moves, they can be back quickly. I just fear they won't.
0: Mark, I, I posted something on my, my Facebook page a week ago. I'm not sure if you saw it or not, but it was a video of the confrontation between San Francisco Giants left-hander Madison Baumgartner, and Joe West. Did you happen to see that? I saw the stare down. Is that what you're talking about? That's what I'm talking about. 17-second stare down between these two guys. Baumgartner obviously on the mound and Joe West with his mask off, standing over to the left of the right-handed batter's box, just staring out at Baumgartner like he was waiting for Baumgartner to say something so he could just throw him out.
1: Uh, We've had this discussion before about these combative umps. I mean, that, that's, that's BS. There's another term the players use for it. I won't use here. But that's that's Bush League, and it's looking for trouble when trouble doesn't exist. And if you've got a problem with the pitcher telling me to shut the hell up, but don't do that kind of showboating. I think the guy, Joe West, ought to be fine for that.
0: It it really was. It, it was showboating. Another weird play happened in the Indians game yesterday. I'm not sure if you saw this. It was in the seventh inning. The Indians were down two to nothing, and it took instant replay into another th- 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 atmosphere. Let's just put it this way. The umpires weren't exactly sure how to handle this, Mark. It was really a weird play. They had runners at first and third, Brantley at first, Lindor at third. Chisenhall was up and one out. Chisenhall hits a screaming line drive right back at the pitcher that Ryan Madsen just stuck his glove out to the left of him, and the ball landed in it. Madsen didn't even know that he had the ball. Looked down, saw the ball. Brantley was caught off off guard at first base. He was a dead duck. Madsen throws wild to first base. Hosmer dives to get the catch. Get the ball. Comes off the bag. He, he lands on his butt. Hosmer does. Caught the ball. Lands on his butt. Can't tag Brantley going back to the bag. He's safe. Lindor comes home, Hosmer from his butt throws home, and they don't get him. Perez, the catcher, then throws to third. They appeal that Lindor left too soon, and the third base umpire immediately signals safe. Now what happens? Ned Yost comes out and challenges the play at first base, thinking that Hosmer did tag Brantley. Well, in the midst of everything... Hosmer did tag Brantley, but the ball was in his bare hand. He tagged him with the glove. Ball was in the bare hand. Okay? So he's safe. So then Yost comes back out, and he wants to challenge the play at third. The umpires say, no, you can only make one challenge per play. So Yost, he's kind of like, well, now wait a second here. We just saw in the video on TV, Lindor did not tag up, and he did not tag up, okay? So the umpires, they get together, talk this thing out, they come back over, they talk with Yost, then they bring Francona out, they talk with him, and the whole thing is is that they're not allowed to let the manager challenge on the same play twice. So finally, the home plate umpire, the way he got around it was this is going to be an umpire discretion video. That's how he got around it. So they went and they looked at it. Well, after they looked at it and saw that Lindor didn't tag up, they go over then and they talk to Yost again. Then they come back over and they talk to Frank Kona. And then after about a 10-minute delay, they finally decide that Lindor is out. And that was the end of the inning. But what a mess this whole play was.
1: Jeez. Well, despite those... Anecdotal uh, disasters, I, I'm a big supporter of instant replay. I think getting it right is more important than the time it takes to to get it right. And so much is at stake and so much money and careers and all these things over, over a single play. And you cannot not get it right if you have the ability to do so. And I, I just think that, that baseball... Uh, we just talked about Joe West, and that, that's the kind of thing that a, a laser home plate strike zone, <laughs> the laser machine is not going to stare back at the pitcher, and it no. ends all arguments. There, there'll be no arguments. It's not subjective anymore. It's objective. It's a standard strike zone, and it can be adjusted for the height of the player and make those kinds of adjustments. But it doesn't make any sense not to get those things right. Uh, I umpired this year. It's amazing, too. uh, In some of the games I umpired, I was behind the plate. And in other times when there's only one umpire, I would umpire from behind the pitcher. Mm -hmm. And the, the perspective you get from behind the pitcher is so different, so different. And you can clearly tell a strike a strike when you're behind the pitcher. Now, you can't have a guy standing out there behind a pitcher because he'd probably get killed. with line drive's coming back where the pitcher ducks. But, um, they you know, there are now technological ways to make baseball infallible in terms of, of the right call. And I, I'd be surprised at some point in the future if we don't have that.
0: Mark, uh, did you see the Jonathan papelbon Bryce Harper situation yesterday?
1: Yes, and, and I wonder... Why it has taken somebody that long to knock, uh, what's his name, the outfielder um,
0: Bryce Harper Bryce
1: Harper on his ass. I mean, uh, that guy, he's a great talent. I think he's dumber than a fence post, and uh, he, he doesn't hustle. Uh, and I know what Papelbaum was saying, run down to first base. You know, this is why we lost this year. And then, of course, Papelbaum loses his – his competitive edge on that argument when he goes out and gives up five runs in, in that inning and gets plastered again. Uh, I've never seen him as a worth the, his reputation and his paycheck as a closer, but that's another story. But uh, those things happen in, in, with Washington this year, you got to imagine the frustration level. I mean, you and I, I think both picked Washington, but we weren't alone I think everybody picked Washington to win the East. Who who would you have picked over Washington? I mean, you wouldn't have picked picked the Mets. No. And you wouldn't pick Miami. You wouldn't pick anybody in that division. They're all terrible. Uh, But New York, uh, they're tough. I mean, they just came in here this week and beat the snot out of the Reds. Uh, Of course, that's not hard to do right now. But that team, with that pitching, I'm telling you, that team could win a World Series.
0: Well, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, the Nationals have suspended Jonathan Papelbon for the rest of the year because of what happened yesterday.
1: And and he deserves to be, you know, he deserves that. Uh, Those are the kind of things that they happen. They typically happen in the clubhouse, not on national TV for ESPN to replay fifty-five times. And I don't know if they signed him to a long-term contract or he was a free agent for them just for one year. I don't remember that deal. But I would be real surprised if he's back. I mean, Bryce Harper is probably going to win the MVP, and he, he deserves it. Uh, but he's a young guy. People forget he's, what, 21 years old? Jeez, uh, what an incredible talent. But somebody, you know, I think Papelbon had the right idea. Hey, run to first. Uh, but he he overdid it, and then you attack a teammate on national TV, that's going to get you suspended.
0: Mark, a couple of trivia questions for you. I think you're going to enjoy these, okay? You always ask me trivia questions, so I'm going to hit you with a couple. Okay, go ahead. What is Matt Williams' mother, the manager of the Washington Nationals, what is his mother best known for?
1: Oh, damn, I knew this. Uh... You're
0: not. I don't know if you did. Did you really know this? Yeah,
1: I did, and I've forgotten. It, it, it wasn't inventing whiteout. It was something.
0: It, no, no, no. That was that was Mickey or uh, uh, Michael Nesmith's mom. Yeah. from the Monkees. Yeah,
1: yeah, but it was something like that. I thought maybe. It's,
0: no, no, it has nothing to do with inventing anything. Well, go ahead. She she was the FBI agent that arrested Charles Manson in Death Valley in
1: 1969. No kidding.
0: Can you believe that Matt Williams' mother was the FBI agent to arrest Charlie Manson? Okay,
1: just to add to your story there, uh, my when I got married, uh, my wife and I, March and I, went to L.A. for our honeymoon, and we were there during the Manson murders. Cool. And we were, we were not far from where, where that happened. And we thought, I mean, we were afraid to go out at night when we were out there. So what's your second trivia question?
0: Second trivia question is, tell me what happened. I don't know how to ask this question because it, without actually giving it away. Okay, the Reds started an in all-brother infield in 1998. Who was it?
1: Uh, all-brother. Uh, the Boones and the Larkins.
0: You're right. Stephen Larkin, along with Barry and Brett and Aaron Boone. Well, see, we're the brothers. That you asked me the
1: baseball race. trivia and I'm pretty good. I, you asked me Charlie Manson <laughs> Charlie Manson trivia and I'm not so good.
0: <laughs> Nonetheless, hey, at least you went 50-50. Alright, I'll take it. Yeah, there you go. Well, I'm not going to ask you what the Reds have remaining this week because it really doesn't matter like you say, but they do have the Cubs coming up tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, and then the they have, coming up this weekend, Pittsburgh. They're going to wrap things up at home Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon. I would guess, Mark, you could probably answer this better. It's it's probably fan appreciation day because it starts at 3 o'clock.
1: Yeah, and boy, do they need to appreciate their fans for enduring <laughs> this year. I'll tell you that.
0: The Indians, on the other hand, they have got the Twins for another three games Tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday, and that could prove to be very important. Then they've got the Red Sox this weekend for three, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And if needed, they'll come back on Monday and they'll play the Detroit Tigers in a game that was rained out about three weeks ago. So they may have to make up a game next Monday, which would be played They haven't really come out and said, but everyone's guess is it would probably be Monday afternoon because then the very next day is the wild card game. So if the Indians would make it, they'd probably have to play the Yankees. The Indians right now, as we've told you, they're sitting four games out in that wild card. They've got seven games for sure, at least maybe eight games, Mark, and they just can't afford to lose any more games.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious, I think right now, aren't the Angels their biggest competition?
0: Well, actually, the Astros are. The Astros are the last team, and then you've got the Twins and the Angels. But, yes, the Angels are, are the team that's right on the heels of the Astros. They're just a half game back.
1: Well, it, it's going to be exciting. I, you know, statistically, the Indians don't have much of a chance because they get going to pass too many teams, but uh, you're still in it. And that's all you can ask for going into the last week of the season.
0: So, Mark, hopefully they'll do something. We'll be back next Monday night. Have a good week. Same to you, David. Don't forget, coming up on Thursday night is the ultimate sports talk show at 7 o'clock, and then we've got high school football action for you on Friday evening. Wayndale taking on the Chippewa Chips. That will be at 6.30 with the PNC Bank pregame show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show, and especially to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Have a good week, everybody. Good night. The Wiz kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. The rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazowski, Campanella, talking
1: baseball.
0: The man in Bob Pella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque Especially Willie, Mickey and the Duke